DJ PK in the morning, proudly presented by Mark Miller Subaru. Time to talk a little NBA draft with Patrick Kinahan. PK, how are you? Special. Butler, reaction. You get it, man. <laughs> I get it. Yeah, I did. I, I did get it. Oh, right off the bat. How do I do it? I don't know. Jared Butler, Baylor star, 40th overall pick. Would have gone much higher, 15th pick, <laughs> give or take a few, but he had a heart condition. So do you think when they assemble the final roster that they're so high on him that he is the third point guard, or do you think they bring in a uh, veteran to back up, assuming they resign Conley, that they bring in a veteran to back up Conley and, uh, and Mitchell? Well, they already have one in Ingles, don't they? Uh, but instead, because they think Ingles got worn down, do they want someone else on the roster? Or Butler is that someone else? Well, I don't know that your third-team point guard is going to get worn down. I think that uh, that's a situation if Conley's out and Mitchell's out. Don't forget, they were out at the same time. I don't expect that to happen. I'm going to sneeze here in a second, I think, so hold on. Okay, holding on. <laughs> wow. Oh, man. A good one. Oh, no, I woke up the whole floor. Uh, so uh, he's a combo guard, they say. Well, what does that mean? It Does means he mean, shoots off the dribble and he can uh, catch and shoot. I think that's okay. what that means. And, and I think that's more important for what the team needs right now as far as being able, as opposed to being able just to be a point guard. So I look for the la- former, not the latter, the catch and shoot type of thing. The numbers are there. They're very impressive at the collegiate ranks. Does What does that mean at the pro ranks? You know, he has to prove it. So we don't know that until we actually see that. But the thing is, he's got the pedigree. It's there. The size is good enough. They obviously targeted him. They got who they wanted. You read and all these reviews of drafts, and you're right. They, I didn't see 15. I think the best I saw was like 22. You're plucking them at 40. So big difference there between 22, say, and be conservative rather than go 15, say 22 versus 40. So they're getting somebody that they really like, and you have to look at this management and say, okay, if they really, really like somebody – it usually comes to pass. I was talking to Whittingham the other day when we had him on the air when we were doing media day, and I said, who is defense in the defensive secondary? You've got to replace Nate Ritchie. And I said, the thing about Nate Ritchie is you, you had been speaking him up, talking him up long before he got there, and he turns out to be a really good player. So normally the point I'm making is when the coaching staff, in this case the scouting staff and the management, if they're identifying a player – real early and then they end up getting that player there's some reason there so i have an optimism that this could get this kid can come in and do what they want him to do i don't know about the point guard duties yet i haven't uh, obviously i haven't seen anything at the pro level but shooting i think is shooting and if you can make shots at the collegiate level it's probably a good chance you can make co- shots at the pro level Derek favors is traded i'm not surprised you're not surprised uh, but there are a lot of Jazz fans who are unhappy because he was very popular and they liked him. So would you like to tell people why the Jazz traded him and a lot of people, not just you and I, could see that coming? Well, yeah, obviously. They were going to trade somebody to free up money. And so who do you want? Do you want Bogdanovich traded? Do you want Ingles traded? You can't keep everybody. And they just, you know, unless you want to pay outrageous amounts of money. So when you look at it, who had in terms of impact of the three that I just mentioned, 
I think I guess you could put Royce O'Neal in there too, but it probably wasn't going to happen. Who had the least impact? Well, it was Favors, right? So you're giving away the least impactful player of the players that we just mentioned. So from that perspective, it allows you to have the money to keep Conley and you're giving away the least impactful player. Niang doesn't make enough to where you could put him in there, right? You needed to have somebody who made was making 10 or more million, right? That's the way I looked at it. So with that in mind, he was the guy, he was the logical guy because it's the least impactful on your team. I realize our fans, as a lot of fans do, they get close to guys, even though they don't even really know them, and that player has no idea who you are. You feel like you get close to him. I understand that. But in the final analysis, rather than perceived relationships, which are basically one way anyway, overriding factor should be the quality of the team and how much it could win. So from that perspective, it was clearly it was the right thing to do. So, biggest surprise of the draft, the team you thought, oh, they got that guy. That's awesome for oh. them. <laughs> that's, that's so hard to say, man. I still like the kid from Gonzaga going to Orlando. Orlando. Jalen you know, Suggs. Yes, and Orlando, uh, you know, they draft. They've got Fultz that they put money in. The kid from Washington via Philly really hasn't worked out to the level, certainly, obviously, being the number one pick. And then last year, Cole Anthony, Greg Anthony's son. So the position there gets a little crowded. But at the same time, I always believe, my philosophy has always been best player available rather than worrying about position. Because if you draft somebody who's really good, and I think, and I've been saying this, and I'm biased because I saw Suggs play so much, I think this kid is going to be a big-time player. Right. So you've already got some players at that position. Well, if this guy is better than them, you have to take them. And if those other guys are good enough, well, then you can trade them for assets. So especially when you are. Seems like Orlando hasn't won since Dwight Howard or Shaq. I mean, it just seems like they have been down for so long now. I'd have to double check as far as how long they've been down, but it seems like it's been a good while. So you need quality players, and I don't care what you have someplace else. If this player that you believe is quality, you take him. So I'm excited for them uh, to see what he can do. I would have drafted him higher, but they didn't. So I'm looking for him. He's He was my pick to really be a breakout player in the draft. And obviously you got four guys went ahead of him, Mobley to Cleveland, and this Cunningham was identified as the number one pick. I watched him play a little bit just to get a feel for him. Looks like he has all the skills. And these teams at the top here who drafted these players, these young players should be able to come in and play immediately because those teams basically suck. Orlando has not won a playoff series since they went to the conference finals with Dwight Howard the year after they went to the NBA finals. So they haven't won a playoff series since 2010. Seven lottery teams, four first-round outs. So you're right. They've been down. Now the Lakers, trying to win a second title in three years. They trade for Russell Westbrook. Well, that's a top-heavy roster. All the money's gone. So are Kyle Kuzma, Montrez Harrell, Contavious Caldwell-Pope. So now they've got to build most of their roster with guys who are basically at the NBA minimum. 
They going to be able to put enough players around their big three? Oh, yeah, man. Mac McClug, is that how you say his name? The kid out of Texas Tech, or was that Georgetown? They picked him up as a free agent, man, and he didn't get drafted. He's a bulldog. Is he the next Lou Dort who didn't get drafted and made the roster there, obviously, for Oklahoma City? Yeah, well, I mean, they had to do something, right? They weren't going to go anywhere with the guys that they had. Now, everybody's excited about Westbrook, but what type of fit? You know, these pieces have to fit. This is a gigantic puzzle. And especially in today's NBA game, do the Lakers have enough three-point shooting? Right now, the answer to me is absolutely not. So, you know, what are they going to do with Westbrook? We know he's an enormous individual talent, but he's got to have the ball in his hands, and he's not a three-point shooter. Right. So you're going to kick it out to him? If I'm the opposing team, I hope you do. (laughs) Because his most, where he's most effective, obviously, is when he's got the ball and he's moving and he's running the proverbial downhill, right? And he goes in for the slam or does something spectacular. That's great. So I think that in today's modern game, how do the Lakers play? I think Vogel's going to have to make an adjustment to go away from that because who on that roster are you looking to make threes? Uh, right now, I'm, Caruso's a free agent. I don't even know if he's going to come back, right? See what they've got there and what his value is to the league. So who else out there? You know, I'm not sure what they're going to do. So get them in transition and they can be uh, like Showtime light, basically, right? With LeBron and Westbrook, both of them obviously are outstanding at that. So it sort of forces them to go along those lines as opposed to running a half-court offense where the ball's moving around like the Jazz and you end up with a wide-open three, whether it's from the top of the corner or the side, whatever it might be. So I'm interested to see how this plays and how it comes together. He's a big name and a wildly individual talent, but how does he play off what LeBron needs? I probably need to talk to you about the other Washington to L.A. trade. The Nationals just send Max Scherzer and Trey Turner to the Dodgers. Man, the, the Dodgers. Larry the Laker, who's also a Dodger fan, is on social media, and he is, uh, he is upset because the Padres have the go-ahead to go pursue it, and the Dodgers don't, and then it turns out the Dodgers do. <laughs> these two teams. And the Giants are sitting up there not making all these moves, and they're winning the division. Now, there's still 60 games to go, so anything can happen. They may not win it, but they're leading the division. Yeah, well, that was a stunner. I mean, you get – Scherzer's a good player, obviously. He's a pitcher, and he's, what, three times Cy Young. So he's pitched in all sorts of big games uh, as far as that goes, obviously, in a World Series. So you need as much pitching as you can get. You need it. I mean, it's just – I don't know that you ever have enough, particularly for the Dodgers. they got three guys – of their five out of the rotation now. And I told you, I don't think Bauer's coming back in May had Tommy John and Kershaw is due back here. As far as I know, sometime in August. Uh, so we still have another week or two, but they do need some pitching. And then, Oh, by the way, Trey Turner, this guy's a big time stud of a player, 28 years of age. And Corey Seager, who was due back, I think today he's been out for several weeks and months now with an injury. Uh, he's a Scott Boris client. He's a free agent. So where are they going to be able to resign him? Do they want to resign him? I'm not sure. So Trey Turner right now, to me, 
as playing as well as anybody in the National League as far as a position player. So you get him, you know, he came up as a center field. He's super fast. He came up as a center fielder. Then uh, they made some moves and they moved him to short. Well, Seager's going to come back. So what do they do? Do they move Turner to second? That's what I'm hearing could possibly be. But the Dodgers have had all sorts of injuries. Guys in and out of the lineup. Betts is out right now. And Bellinger is limited. He's got a hamstring, I think. And he's having an awful season. And so he has to play first. He hasn't been able to play as much outfield. So do they move Trey Turner there? He gives them a stud of a player. He's got power. He can run. And he can play multiple positions defensively. So I know Scherzer's a big-time player and all that, but I love the addition of Trey Turner, and they give him their top four prospects. Now we'll see. I actually went to the game on Sunday, and one of the prospects that they gave was this kid Gray, a pitcher, Josiah Gray, and he made his first start, and I thought he looked good for his first big league start. Well, now he's out the door, so it doesn't matter from the Dodger perspective. But obviously, to get that type of talent, you've got to give up something. And it's funny, my wife, we were talking about this last night, she doesn't understand the concept. Well, if you're rebuilding in baseball, why do you give away your best players? How does that help you rebuild by giving away your best players? <laughs> and I'm trying to c- explain the concept. Well, you don't want to be paying these guys big money when you're not capable of winning. Yeah, but they're your best players and you're trying to get better. Why would you give away the best players? So we were kind of knocking our heads against the wall a little bit. It was, And I get it. It's, it is difficult to understand the concept of what they're trying to do, but financially, why have these high-end guys when you're not winning so they make these trades for these younger kids? But the Dodgers are in win mode now, and you've got to love the additions of those two players. It really sets up that when we get to that, it, it looks like right now all three of those teams are going to make the postseason, but two of them are going to play in a one-game playoff, obviously. Yeah. Yeah. And that is going to be something. I mean, that's going to be a whale of a game. Well, Turner, uh, although he may end up at second, he considers shortstop his natural position, but he's played third and center. He's just yeah. an awesome athlete. I mean, Bob, he, line, he's, he was a first-round draft pick, and the Padres actually drafted him, but he was in the, um, the Will Myers trade. That was how they lost him. So. They've traded away a lot of uh, a lot of prospects here to uh, to get the guys they put on the roster, and he's one of them. So now he's a Dodger. I'm excited to see what it ha- what happens over the final two months of the regular season. All right, there he is, PK. Little downtime, little vacation, but he's back at it full time on Monday. And PK, we will talk to you then. All right, see you guys. All right, coming up next, the Jazz general manager. Justin Zanuck, Jay-Z, meeting with the media at about midnight to explain, or in the case of a couple questions, not explain, what the Jazz are doing and why and what they like and what they're trying to accomplish. If you weren't up at midnight for this one, we'll let you hear it next on 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. The Big Show. Big Show. With Jake Scott and Gordon Monson. Former BYU Athletic Director Rondo Felberg. I'm sure you found me a decade ago saying this was going to continue to evolve until we get to a point of natural stability. I still believe that a football-centric organization that has four 16-team leagues that include conference-based rivalries that lead you up to a conference playoff and then to a national playoff. And that's what the SEC's just done. I fault the Big 12. 
2012 for not having done anything when they had the chance nearly a decade ago to actually be ahead of the curve on this, and they didn't. Catch the Big Show weekdays from 2 to 7, presented by Big O' Tires, the team you trust on 97.5, 1280 The Zone in the Zone Sports Network. Westwood One Sports presents this special update on the 2020 Summer Games sponsored by Bank of America Customized Cash Rewards Credit Card earned 3% cash back in online shopping. Before they even had the opening ceremonies in Tokyo, the U.S. women's soccer team was in a hole, having lost 3 nothing to Sweden, but the U.S. now into the semifinals after a thrilling win over the Netherlands, 3-2 in penalty kicks. Twice in the second overtime, the U.S. had goals taken off the board due to an offside. The Dutch had a penalty kick chance with 10 minutes left in regulation. It was stopped by U.S. goalie Alyssa Nair, who then made two more saves in the PK round. Novak Djokovic will not win the Golden Slam. All four slams plus the gold medal. He lost to Alex Zverev. Still would have needed the U.S. Open. Zverev will play Kareem Karcharov for the gold medal. American Connor Fields looking for a repeat gold medal in BMX riding in the semifinals. Fields went over his handlebars. Fell on his face. Got ridden over by two riders taken off on a stretcher. Fortunately, Fields is now stable. With this Summer Games update, I'm John Stashauer. Westwood One Sports. Updates from Tokyo brought to you by Zero Res. When, when you get the carpets clean, they're never just clean. It's Zero Res clean. Don't have it any other way. Just $33 per room clean plus a fourth room for free. You deserve the best. You deserve Zero Res. Schedule with Zero Res today by calling them at 801-288-9376. 801-288-9376. Or schedule online by searching for Zero Res Carpet Cleaning. All right, time now to hear from the Jazz general manager, Justin Zanuck, meeting with the media at about midnight, the NBA draft in the books. Reporters know about the Derek Favors deal and are going to ask about it pretty quickly, and he is going to explain why he's not going to comment on it. Now we know that Derek Favors is going to Oklahoma City along with a first-round draft pick. Here is Justin Zanuck with the media. There's certain trades that don't get done until a league year and things. So they've done a new wrinkle in order to um, allow this. So I'm allowed to talk about Jared Butler. I'm allowed to say that we have a, an agreement in principle on his rights. There are other terms and I cannot speak about those other terms. Um, is Jared going to be allowed? Do you anticipate him playing in some of Um We're going to get him in here first, partly on you know, again, when the trade's allowed to happen and all those things that are tied there. Um, and so we'll just follow the league um, rules and when we can get him cleared that way um, for that. So TBD right now, basically, obviously with the Salt Lake City Summer League and then Vegas, he'll, he'll be here. So playing, not playing, we'll take, you know, we'll, we'll take that by year. Will we get him in for a workout? And if so... Did Quinn see him? I mean, how many people could you have over there? So, Jared is, I'm really, first of all, in, in general, not avoiding the question, then it's more, um, I'm really excited for you guys and the community and the city and the state um, to get to know him the way we believe in him, not only as a player, but as a person. Um, he's a special, special guy. And his presence, um, we've just, he's had a great career and he's been playing at the highest level for a long time. He's gone through draft interviews. We've followed him closely. Um, you know, we obviously have people in the organization that have a lot of Baylor ties and, uh, that gives us great comfort, um, to kind of have an, uh, maybe a better 
just a really, really good feel about him as a player and as a person. So, um, you know, with the COVID rules, with the compressed season and all those things, um, we've seen him plenty to be able to do it. Obviously, you had some of those health concerns that probably is the reason he was available at 40. What made you confident that those weren't an issue? We're comfortable with Jared as a player, as a person. Um, we're excited to add him as, as the Utah Jazz. I don't want to get into any other of those details. It's just that we feel really good about him. So we're excited to have him. What, what specifically stands out about his game that makes you comfortable about his fit here with the Jazz? So, look, and not to hedge on anything, we're, we're talking about a guy who's now about to become a rookie in the NBA with a highly competitive championship competitive organization. So he's got a varied skill set that he's displayed um, at the highest levels of college basketball with a lot of experience, played in really big games, has produced in big games, um, a great leader, a great teammate, and the multi-skilled aspect of his game uh, I think will fit well in, in what we ask our players to do here and what coach does is to be able to dribble, pass, shoot, lead, um, guard, and he checks all of those. How much, um, how much did it help you in, in wanting to integrate him here that, you know, Jared you know, at the college level um, showed the propensity of being able to play both guard positions, the one and the two positions and versatile? Yeah, I mean... We've talked about that a lot, Tony, right? And all of us about in today's NBA positional versatility being able to, you know, he's a very, um, he's a very good athlete. He's physically strong, tough, mentally tough. Um, being able to put up with the grind of a season, you know, is new for any rookie, but, you know, he, in my opinion, probably one of the most well-prepared ones for the level of basketball he's had to play and maintain for the last few years. So, you know, he's got as good a start, head start as anybody that's coming in without ever playing in the NBA before. Excuse me. Would it be accurate to say that you wanted Jared uh, originally yep. and then you knew that you could probably trade down and be able to have him? So, again, I can't get into sort of all the other you know, and I know, like, I'm smiling to myself that I'm about to spout a bunch of, like, 100 cliches of basketball. And, you know, I, I want to tell you that they are true, and they are. But I'll be sitting up here at some other point, too, probably. But he was somebody that we were really excited when we had a chance to get him. Like, it was a no-brainer for us. Are you able to give us any uh, additional details on the details of the trade with no. I can just say that there are other terms. I had to read, uh, Stephen Schwartz had to make sure to tell me what I could and couldn't do. We're all rookies here on this part. So <laughs> otherwise, we'd be here till like, I don't know, tomorrow, 6 a.m. Yeah. So going along with that, how different was tonight versus all the other ones that you've been with? I've done them a few times, yeah. you know, obviously with lots of great partners, mentors. Uh, we got a great group of guys that the front office and coaching staff um, all very integrated, you know, doing the work like we've always done. Um, so felt more familiar. The thing that was interesting was that we hadn't had, even though we we had a draft last year, this feels much more like a normal process. And, you know, 
more people in the room like it, it's been before. Uh, having Ryan Smith's presence here, uh, his energy, um, he's so committed to building a championship-level team. And, you know, the things, you know, obviously I've told you guys before, and you guys understand that the draft is only one part of how we build a team for next season. And we have to do that on multiple levels next season, two seasons from now, three seasons from now. All I can tell you, um, two things. One, we have a plan. We always have a plan. And we're going to go execute that to the best of our ability. And Ryan's resources and commitment to spending are going to be at levels that we've never done with the Jazz. Um, I can obviously be able to tell you more when team building is so linked to the draft, free agency trades, so that you get the whole picture. I don't even know what's going to happen, obviously, because there's a plan and then some people have to say yes, some people have to say no, and then we can all sit here. So I kind of ignore the like hot takes, you know, <laughs> what draft picks associated with the Jazz or what this means or any other moves that happen to come out in the future. Like, it's just like take a deep breath and, you know, you can kind of give us your opinion when everything's done. That would be the other hot takes. <laughs> Last year, we talked about wanting to find specifically kind of a skill that pops or one elite skill. Does Jared have that? And if so, what is it? Um, so, you know, look, every draft's different. And, you know, you guys do a great job, frankly. I read all your guys' stuff in terms of your own draft analysis and how everyone's different. Some of them are really strong at the top. Some of them are speculated that it's really deep from 20 to 40. It changes. And then we're all wrong until we really know what happens like three or four years from now. So to answer your question with Jared, I think the thing that really pops for him is just, I'm not sure that we're going to find out, you know, the speed is different in the NBA than college. The strength requirements, the physicality, the grind is different, how he develops and then what role, which again, you know, this is a high level team, a highly competitive team, a veteran team. So we kind of can give them a runway, but probably the thing that pops is his versatility about, I'm not sure there's a situation that he hasn't seen at some level and he has the skill set, the physicality, the demeanor to be able to handle those new things really well. So probably less of a ramp up because he's just played more. He's experienced. Okay. I mean, he's going to be your favorite. (laughs) Um, Maybe I'm, you know, Jared will hear this and think I'm putting too (laughs) high of an expectation, but I talked to my wife tonight, you know, she stayed up and uh, she's with grandma and the kids. And I just said, I think I found Lucy's new favorite player. My youngest, because she'll meet him and she'll be like, she'll have posters everywhere in her, in her room with him. So. You mentioned earlier your, you know, the Baylor connections that you guys have. How is that? I mean, I can't imagine that there's also not other teams with Baylor connections. Sure. Right? So, like, how does that make you so much more comfortable? I just think that, and I'm not saying, you know, every team does really good work. I think when you have relation and we have a lot of relationships with schools and I think we have, I'm very proud of our staff um, that does a really good job of like 
making sure that we have as much intel information. Um, but we, we've had an opportunity just to closely follow that, maybe some from personal ties too, not necessarily to Jared, but to the program that gives you a lot more confidence in the information you're seeing, taking in. There's always a little confidence level of the information you hear, right? Maybe like your sources, like, hey, there's a source here that's 95% confident that you're good, and then there's one like, eh, 50. So it's different. With with Baylor, the program, the types of players they produce, the history of their program, how competitive they are, they, along with that gives us a very high confidence level of you know, more of the personal stuff. Obviously, watch the film, workouts, measurements, those things. You can make a basketball evaluation, but you're projecting humans. And I know I've said that to you guys before, that you're projecting someone into a new environment, how they handle it. The NBA is completely different. You're going from a scholarship and college life to a profession and a job. And some guys are equipped for it. Some guys aren't. Some guys you think are going to be equipped for it. They are some you know you're not sure, and it works out great. So, I think Jared's very well equipped to handle the next stage of his career, and has the skill set to give himself a chance. What are you uh, looking for out of some of the specifically with Doug, Elijah, guys who are essentially going into a second rookie year? Yeah, that's that's exactly how I would term it, Tony. Um, COVID, the G League shortened season, untimely injuries for especially Elijah and Doe, um, some of our own uh, health stuff where Trent didn't get as many games. Trent Forrest didn't get as many. He got some good minutes up here, but just the guys the year before, like Mie and Jarrell and Jawan, they got 50, 60 games plus time. So, and with how compressed the season was, like, those guys aren't getting to play five on five even with the, when they've been with the team. They might get some three on threes and four on four if we even did that because we're playing, the games just kept stacking up. So this is a real opportunity for them to play um, and just really feel a professional level. I felt it was, I said this, I think last year, I mean, we literally drafted guys and then they show up in four, camp, I think it was like four days later. In a year like this, even though it's compressed, we're going to get with Jared and Elijah and Doak and Trent probably 40 to 50 touches combining summer league and along with maybe the two or three weeks before we actually start training camp where they're with our health performance guys. They're in a group. They're playing. It's just going to be so beneficial for them. But it's not a, oh, he did A, B, and C in summer league or or struggled with this, like now we have to just make a decision. It's just this is the path of their development that they just didn't have that last year. So it's impossible to say. And we were a good team. So we weren't playing a lot of young guys. We were there weren't that many opportunities to just like roll guys out and just say, okay, figure it out. And just first time we've gone to talk to you since changes and I'm just kind of curious. Generally do you have or want to give a, a vision statement for kind of, you know, what the jazz look like and, and kind of a, I don't know if it's a new era or how different it'll be, but kind of what do you, what do you envision for this team? Look, um, it obviously by default, whether I'm sitting up here or not, it's a, it's a new era. 
because of Ryan Smith and his ownership. Um, and I've said it before, but I, I want to make it clear, like his energy and vision and commitment to the city and state and, and this team is going to pay huge dividends down the road. And he's willing and able to make those investments on a yearly basis, which is awesome. Um, my job is to continue to help him acclimate to this and get a chance to see how we operate. You know, he's, he's gotten a year under his belt. He's about to go into his second year. And his insight, his instincts have been really helpful for us as we built a, a relationship. And I think that'll evolve over time, you know, but I think a lot of the, you know, a lot, some of that is a function of where our team is at right now, not just because it's new ownership. It's, we're not a rebuilding team. We're not, you know, a, a playoff competitive team where we have championship aspirations. So, but that's been a lot of years of work where we, you know, gotten some things right and made some mistakes and, but you just keep going forward and Ryan's going to help us continue to push that forward. So I'll hold off on a definitive statement other than I'm really excited um, to be working with Ryan and what, it, what that means for this community, the, the team, internal staff, coach, like all the collaboration, everything's been great. And uh, it's been a, a different transition, but a really seamless one in terms of the processes and how we make decisions. You said that Jared is going to be one of our favorites. Yeah. When you're doing, I guess, the just one-on-one -on -one interviews with mm -hmm. players in the pre-draft process, what is it that you're looking for? Me personally, um, and this, <laughs> I wish that there was an algorithm that you could say, hey, this guy checks A, B, and C, he will automatically be this. Um, you're still betting on humans. And then sometimes you really, really like people that you meet, um, and you have to kind of remove that from the basketball. Like, this gives you good confidence, like, okay, if he's good enough, then he's got a real chance. So we had made the basketball operate, you know, evaluation. He's more than good enough. We think he has a chance to be really good. And so to answer the question, when we're interviewing and trying to get to know guys, we make it pretty informal. We're not making them do a case study or, you know, read this chart or what do you think? What's this ink plot look like? We really just want to get to know them. But guys that demonstrate self-awareness of their own weaknesses of things that make them happy, how well-rounded they are, what they like. Um, the self-awareness part's good because there aren't perfect players that come into the NBA and there is a development path. So making sure that every, I guess when I say there aren't perfect players, it means every, every player that comes in has stuff to work on or get better or improve a strength or, improve, you know, help work on a weakness when you have a better idea yourself of what you need to work on and the self-discipline and the work ethic to address that to be coached like we have a pretty good player development program but if guys don't put in the work or aren't working on the right things because they're not self-aware then that's just a lot it's not to say it can't be done but it makes it a lot harder so you can probably translate that jared has a lot of those things there is Justin Zanuck, Jazz General Manager. He's got a chance to be really good. 
I would only want to say how quickly, and Justin would not want to answer that because then you're piling even more expectations on him. But the future is now for the Jazz, so how quickly can he go? Now, he goes 40th. I read that he was middle first round. PK thought that he saw there was a 20. Everybody's got an opinion. None of that ever gets hashed out. Where he was going to go or not go, how much he could have climbed or how he would have fallen. Once he got identified as having a medical condition and he had to go to that panel of doctors, teams are dropping him hot potato time. So the Jazz at 40 thought it was worth a chance. They saw a lot of things he liked. His college numbers, shooting 41% from three. He's a good Catch and shoot, he's excellent, but he's good off the dribble, too. Uh, I think I read 77th and 98th percentile, so that's pretty good. And self-awareness, how much better does he have to be? Because now he's going to be defended by bigger guys, guys running at him. Everybody's taller, everybody's longer, everybody's faster, space on the floor. Is it a premium? But at least he's starting from a good place. And now how quickly can he get better? All right, there's Justin Zanuck. You mull that over. We'll be back with your feedback. Less about the draft. You have more opinions about Derek Favors getting traded. And we'll get to that next. Stay with us. Time for your feedback. Everything you have to say about today's show. I have to recommend the Ron Barker interview. If you haven't heard it, oh my gosh. Former head of governance handled compliance issues for the Pac-10 for, and Pac-12 for 20 years, worked for the NCAA for a couple of years, former BYU assistant basketball coach. I mean, he hit on everything. Rick Majerus, Reggie Bush, Oregon and the Willie Lyles case. He's writing books where he's putting the cases he worked on into a fictional narrative removing and changing school names, coach names, player names. So it's not so much about the personalities, outing anybody, putting anybody under the microscope, but it does let you see how the whole system works, the whole ecosystem. Hey, you like that? You like that, Yuck? That sounded highfalutin right there. How does it really work? What really goes on? What kind of issues are there? And he told stories about a coach helping two players cheat on a math test, specifically how they did it. I'm afraid some ne'er-do-well out there will now copy that. And then blackmailing the players going into a school they didn't want to go to and play for a coach they want to play for. Oh, you you got to go play for them. You cheat on the math test, and I know, and I'll out you guys. Oh, dirty. And so, then he got into a case about yeah. a star running back. Uh, this is a book that's coming compliance out. Compliance officer and a fair... Uh, finally proven by text message that were incredibly vulgar. Compliance officer quits and disappears. Meanwhile, player gets in an altercation with a former player at a nightclub, and someone is stabbed and dies. And, oh, my gosh. I mean, he just goes on. You, you got to hear it for yourself. So he did a podcast the first time I heard him, and he actually mentioned the fact that, and he mentioned during the interview, he processed about 250, he said, uh, claims a year. How are you on term it? Well, he's not going to get all these turned into books. But, but he meant, <laughs> no, but what he, what he meant by that is, it seems like average about 25, and a lot of them are really innocuous. Somebody just made a mistake. He said, somebody makes a mistake and breaks a small rule they didn't even know existed. But if there's a school or a program who suddenly is not reporting anything, that was a major red, red flag, flag to start looking into him. 
Like he said, you'd think he says he can write two books a year. He's writing yeah. books based on, on based on these cases, fictionalizing true life NCA investigations. I was going to say true life crimes, but in some cases that's true, in others it's not. So check that out. Uh, it's up there on our website, 1280thezone.com. If you follow uh, me on Twitter, David DJ James, or the Zone Sports Network, at Zone Sports Net, the link's been tweeted out. You can listen to it. Yikes. Okay, we're getting a lot of uh, feedback here. A lot of feedback on uh, the trade, the Derek Favors trade. Favors to Oklahoma City. We just played, and it started with a, a question to Justin Zanuck, the Jazz GM, that he, he says he can't answer. Some trades can't be completed until the new NBA year starts, so you can't comment on those trades. So he had nothing to say about Derek Favors, but multiple reports out there about Favors and a future first-round pick to Oklahoma City. Josh says the math doesn't add up. Favors the first-round pick for a second-round pick. The year he's gone, the second defense was terrible. This year he stabilized it. This is a mistake. Well, we'll see, Josh. That's a beautiful thing, as PK likes to say. It'll all play out. But his production was dropping. His health was not good. He was sitting on the bench with a heat pack trying to stay loose. He ta- it wasn't a secret. He talked about it in the Zoom calls. You could see it on the game broadcast. That's why he got asked about it. And he said some nights he feels better than others. Some nights he has that explosiveness in his legs and can get above the rim and throw down dunks and block shots. And other nights he can't. And that is trending in the wrong direction. He's not getting healthier. He is getting less healthy. We've seen that over his career. And he makes a good chunk of money. He's not in the top tier with the three best paid guys on the team, but he's in the next tier of four guys, and he was the least productive of the four. And his playing time is down to the non-Rudy Gobert minutes, and I think the Jazz, after watching the playoffs, thinking the non-Rudy Gobert minutes, they got to be ready to go a different direction and match up with five guys out, and that's not favors. So I think that's where this is going. And they needed to save some money, because Donovan Mitchell's getting a lot more money. And Conley, I don't know what he's going to sign for. He's going to take a pay cut. How much of a pay cut remains to be seen. And if he signs in Utah, remains to be seen. I would lean towards he does, but uh, I don't know that, and I certainly can't guarantee that. But wherever he is, it'll be for less money. So the Jazz need to save a little money. So I think that's why that happened. A lot of you, he's my favorite. He'll always be a Jazz guy in my heart. I get that. Fans, they latch on to guys, and guys are their favorite for one reason or another, and he's certainly popular. I get all that, but... I'm also not at all surprised by the trade. The Oklahoma City trade happened. There were rumors of talks with Sacramento. There were probably other things going on we haven't heard about. But I'm not surprised uh, that Favors has moved on. All right, even if the Jazz can't formally say that yet. All right, we're out of time. Hans and Scotty are next. Have a good weekend.